scripture this morning comes from Proverbs 2, it's verses 1 through 6. Again, that's Proverbs 2, 1 through 6. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Thank you. Thank you, Thomas, for our reading today. And thank you, Jonathan, for leading us in those beautiful songs. And for you and your participation in our worship today, I'm very grateful. The singing was beautiful. And And I'm very grateful for your presence today. If you're visiting with us, we're delighted to have you. It's always a privilege and a pleasure to be with you, for us to be together, and for us to worship God as he's taught us in the pages of the New Testament. If you're visiting and you'd like uh, to know more, I'd be happy to study with you so that we can sit down and study the Scriptures together. If we can help you in some way, we, we want to do our very best to help you spiritually to learn more about God and learn more about God's will for your life. So please give us that opportunity. There are a lot of treasures in life, aren't there? There are a lot of things that we hold very valuable and dear. The original word treasure here uh, is a very interesting word. It goes back to the idea of putting in a box, holding something precious in a box. And I think we all relate to that because we've all done that at one time or another. I've done that, I know. Uh, One of the things that I really treasure among other great treasures in my life are the very many, many kind cards and letters and notes that I've received through the years. And every time I receive one, I put it in a file. I have several files of them full now of treasures which people have given to me and notes and thoughts. And sometimes I'll take those out and I'll read through them and memories will come to my mind about people, places, and things. And it certainly functions as a great treasure for me. I know that you could say the same thing about some treasures of yours. We think of things very valuable. It might be stocks and bonds. It may be land. It may be property. There are some things that are very valuable to us. We put those things and the certificates of such in safety deposit boxes. And there's that word, deposit, which we receive from the Latin language that's been borrowed from other languages to put something precious in a box. And so we have some treasures. You know, one of the great silent cues which God gives us, I think, are the beautiful scenes, the sunrise, the sunsets, the beautiful parts of our world, visible cues from God that He's trying to tell us that He loves us and cares for us and provides for us in His wonderful way. Those are treasures, aren't they? A lot of material treasures. We can be very grateful, very thankful for them. But I want to talk about spiritual treasures today, treasures of the soul. These are hard to measure sometimes. You know, it's hard for me to sometimes measure, especially when I was teaching, how to measure how much this person really understands the content of the material. You know, when you're playing a sport, it's a lot easier. How many times does he shoot the basket through the rim? Well, he does it five times out of ten. Pretty easy to measure that kind of skill. But sometimes a skill of understanding and appreciation is harder to measure. 
But it will do us good if we'll take a moment and consider carefully some of the important treasures that we have, spiritually speaking. And that's what I want to do today. I want to look at spiritual treasures, treasures that really should mean a lot to us and to our soul. It's something that I think quite a bit about, though I have to admit uh, it's hard for me to preach about it. I don't know just exactly the right way to do it, to convey a growing appreciation that we should have in the spiritual treasures which God has given. But I want to try my best to do that because I want to take literally the advice that's given from the wise man in our study, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. In my own very simple way, I'd have to say that God is a treasure. And I want us to think about that for a moment together. God is a great treasure for us to consider spiritually speaking. And one of the passages that I thought of would be Isaiah 33. In Isaiah 33, verses 5 and verse 6, he tells us how great God is and exalted God is, that He ought to be the great spiritual treasure of our life. The Lord is exalted, for He dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice, and He will be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Isn't that a wonderful passage to consider? It came to us from Isaiah 33, and I read verse 5 and verse 6, and he's telling us of all the wonderful things that God is able and does do for us. And he says, now, this is a wonderful treasure for you. You know, a relationship with God, it's the most important thing that a Christian has. The love which God has given to us, the grace of God, What a treasure that is. If you don't have this relationship with God, you're missing out on the great treasure, the great depository of something that is precious that you really need to have in your life. And as Isaiah said, God is exalted high and lifted up. He is responsible for your stability, for your salvation. He gives you wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Isn't that amazing? The fear of the Lord. Reverence and respect for God. The fact that we can pray to God. The fact that we have a Father to pray to. is a wonderful treasure that we should take stock in. Oh, we value things, that's for sure. We value things of this life. We value this world. We value our homes. We value our automobiles, but there's a greater treasure out there that we should be valuing. We should place great emphasis and value to the greatest treasure of all, and that's our relationship with God, because without God, we are nothing, nothing. Now, we've got some wonderful things we think so much about, and We place a lot of stock in, but without God, we're nothing. Following up on the Hebrew matter, the wise man in Proverbs chapter 15 gave us verse 16 that I think is a very uh, interesting passage of Scripture. This passage here in Proverbs 15, 16 says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord 
than great treasure and trouble with it. Now that was Proverbs 15. As in Proverbs 15, 16, it's better to do without and have just a little and have the fear of the Lord. Often the word fear in our perspective means a bad thing, but here fear is a healthy thing. Fear, sometimes we think of it as negative in thinking and concept, whereas fear in the Bible is saying this is reverential respect for God, which we should have. It'd be much better for us to live without and have this reverential respect and fear of the Lord than to be filled with all of the world's goods and all the troubles that go with them. The fear of the Lord is a treasure to respect Him, to honor Him, to value Him his power. Better to have God in your life than to have all of the many, many wealthy things in this world. And that's not just an old preacher saying that. That's the truth. God really matters. He matters in our lives. And we have a great great treasure. I wonder how much value God in our lives. We might be able to say, well, I really value God in my life. Well, do we really take stock in that particular matter and consider it carefully? We ought to consider that, be concerned about the matter. Just how important is God in my life? Well, yeah, God's important in my Is he really? You really put God first in your life. If you treasure him, as the wise man says we should, you will. You'll put him first and not regulate him to a lower level of importance. Christian, child of God, has a great treasure. In fact, we all do, and that's Christ. Christ is a great treasure. And again, I don't know that I convey how important God is and how important Christ is in our lives. I picked out Colossians chapter 2. In this wonderful passage, Colossians chapter 2, and I was thinking of verses 1 through 3, which talk about the importance of Christ in our life. You know, people are always looking for something else. Uh, They're always reaching out for some other thing. They think this will be better or that will be better. The old adage of the grass is always greener, you know. People think, well, let me go to this or let me go to that. And the world is filled with these particular matters. And it was not unique or is not unique to our time. It was the case in Bible times. And I think Paul's writing to a congregation, the church at Colossae in the Lycus Valley. He's saying, now don't reach out for something else. Christ is all you need. In fact, when you study the book of Colossians, you're looking at a book which is talking about the supremacy of Christ. And the importance of Christ. Christ is all you need. You don't need to reach out and look for something else. All you need really is Christ and Him crucified as your Savior. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. You know, in the Lycus Valley, on the other side of the valley was the city of Laodicea, and the congregation was over there. Paul's in Rome, about 62 A.D., and he writes this letter to the Colossians. And he tells them, I want you to 
Give your letter to them, let them read it, and let the letter they have, let it come over to you, and, and you read that, and circulate these letters, and one of the circulated letters would be the book of Colossians. Let the church at Laodicea read that and understand that. I have a great for you at Colossae on one side of the valley and Laodicea on the other side of the valley. And the concern was you're trying to reach out for something else. You're trying to reach out for something other than Christ and you're looking and going about that all wrong. Now there's a certain group among you. I think scholars, biblical scholars who've studied about this matter very precisely have come to say that the problem that the church at Colossae had was a false notion called Gnosticism. It comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. And here was a group of people who were trying to say, you know, you can get to a higher level of spirituality if you'll get to some kind of special knowledge that no one else has. And they were really seeking for that and looking for that. We got some kind of special divine knowledge, almost as if we're looking for the guru to tell us what's something special that nobody else knows. And if you can get a hold of this special knowledge, gnosis, Gnosticism, then you'll have something nobody else has and you can really be saved. That actually taken Christ and reduced him down to an angel. Not that he was the Son of God anymore, but that he was an angel. Paul says, I have concern, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of, of, of fullness, a full assurance of understanding, and the knowledge, there's that big word there, of God's mystery, which is in Christ. In whom? Where's all this knowledge? It's in Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You don't need to look somewhere else. You got everything you need in Christ. In Him is hidden all the wisdom, the understanding, the knowledge. He says to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm reading out of Colossians. I'm looking at verses 1 through 3, and I'm seeing this inspired writer telling us and every subsequent generation, Christ is all you need. He's the treasure. If you're looking for knowledge and understanding, then you look no further than Jesus Christ. And we're always looking for something else. We always think that the grass is greener somewhere. The Gnostics, self-help, everybody's got something better. Paul says, not so. They're lying to you. All you need, as far as the wisdom and knowledge and understanding, is what you learn from Jesus Christ and Him crucified. For in Christ, we have a love that cannot be fathomed. We have a love that will never die. We have a righteousness that shall never be tarnished. We have a peace that can never be fully understood. We have a rest that can never be a joy that can never be diminished, a hope that can never be disappointed. A glory that can never be clouded, a happiness that can a life that can never be darkened, a strength that can never be made feeble, 
a beauty that can never be made marred or marred, a purity that can never be defiled, a wisdom that can never be baffled. We have resources that can never be exhausted. It's in Christ. It's all that we need. Hence the emphasis of the book of Colossians, the supremacy of Christ. There's no need to look any further. This is it. He's the treasure. How important is Christ to me? It's pretty easy to measure how many times a guy can shoot a basket through the rim. But sometimes it's hard to measure something like this. How important is Christ in my life? How do I value this depository of value? How can I really estimate the greatness of the treasure? The Apostle Paul in the book of Philemon, Philippians, is writing about the greatness of Christ and the importance of Christ. And he tells us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, passage you may want to mark. But whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I said that in Philippians 3 and I read for you verse 7 and 8. Now it's no wonder that this Hebrew of the Hebrews, this true blood of Judaism, this Pharisee of the strictest sect of the Pharisees would give all that up for Jesus Christ. How important is the treasure? To him, it was a matter of life. You ought to mark Philippians chapter 1, all through this great book. He talks about how important Christ is to him and how it ought to be important to us. In Philippians 1 and 21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Now remember, he's in prison. And there is some doubt in his mind. He doesn't know for sure how this prison thing's going to work out. He's been incarcerated for some time now, and he's not quite sure how it's going. But he seems very confident in other passages of the book and other books of the Bible that reference that matter. But he says, at least at this point, I'm not sure how it's going to work out. But whether I live or whether I die, I can't lose. For me to live is Christ. But to die is gain. If I were to live through this ordeal, then that means that I could continue working for Christ and living and working and helping and being fruitful and bearing fruit in others to bear fruit in their life. But if I die, then I gain. I gain eternity. I gain heaven and the promise which Christ gave me. And that is heaven itself. That's a treasure. To be able to say, no matter what life might be, and this is pretty low life right here in prison, incarcerated in a mammothine prison in Rome, this is pretty low. The quality of life is very low here, but it still is life. But no matter what the quality of life might be, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
I can't lose. And that's the result of Jesus Christ in my life. How important is Christ in your life? How important is the treasure? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, there's another interesting passage that Paul uh, speaks here about, and I, I thought of this as I was thinking about these particular matters, and my mind was going along in this direction, and he talks about the fact that he was proclaiming Christ to them. But when he came, he didn't come with lofty speech and powerful words. In fact, the sophists were very capable Greek orators, and they would come with very great swelling words. And, and the, the idea was there's greater entertainment in listening to the flowery speech than the content that was actually given. And Paul says, when I came to preach to you, I didn't come like that. I didn't come with great swelling words or some kind of flowery oration such as a Greek sophist or an orator might be. But when I came, all I knew was Christ. And that's what I preached to you. And I, 1 Corinthians 2 and 1, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the treasure. The treasure is not in some great swelling sermon or some great words or lofty uh, content and sermonizing, but the great treasure is the content of the sermon, which is Jesus Christ Himself. And I came to you and preached to you at Corinth, and that's all I knew. All I knew was Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and that's what I taught, because that's where the treasure is. The spiritual treasure is in Christ. Now, we take stock, time to consider the inventory. Is that where my treasure is? Am I really concerned about Christ like I should be? And all that that really matters. But I want to take a brief moment, and I must be brief. I want to talk to you a little bit about another great treasure. As great a treasure as Christ is, as great a treasure in our lives spiritually as God is, we got to consider this treasure. This is a treasure. And all how sometimes we consider it, you know, so humdrum and... So casual, so casual about study of the Bible, if we study the Bible at all. But the Bible is a great treasure, and, and I've got to come to understand something of how valuable it is. And that's why I selected that text that we read just a moment ago in Proverbs chapter 2 that I turn to now, beginning in verse 1. My son, if you receive my words. Now, when you get into the book of Proverbs, you'll see it's addressed a lot like that. It's addressed in this fashion, like a father giving advice to a son. And he's coaching him, he's teaching him, he's schooling him in these very important matters of life. And that comes up over and over. He says in Proverbs 2, my son, if you will receive my words. Now, to receive my words means more than listen to them. You'll remember uh, what your mom and dad said. Your mom and dad was probably like my mom and dad. And when I didn't do what I was supposed to do, he would say to me, you know, sometimes... It's like the words go in one ear and out the other with you. You're not listening. And we've all heard that cliche. I heard it quite a bit. Uh, you probably heard it as well. Well, that's what we're saying here. This does not mean the words are going in one ear and out the other. But he's saying, I want you to really listen to this. I want you to receive it. My son, if you receive my words... So you're going to have to do more than just listen to it. 
and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. So really listen carefully. Yes, if you call out for insight, verse 3, and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it uh, for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come, knowledge and understanding, verse 6. The passage is Proverbs chapter 2, and I've read verses 1 through 6. And I wondered sometimes, why does he always say that? He says that so much. If you will listen, if you will do this, my son, if you will hear my words and really diligently seek them. And I think I understand why. When my kids came along, I began to understand why. Why he says it this particular way, because it's hard for people to take advice. We don't want to take advice. We don't want to be told we don't want to be told what not to do. And it's hard sometimes for us to take advice. And the wise father here in Proverbs is trying to give good advice. He says, son, let me give you some good advice. And I can almost imagine, and at a certain period of time in a child's comeuppance, how they react when they're young, they're listening there, and it seems like every word out of your mouth they're listening to. But then there comes a, an age when they start rolling their eyes back in their head when you give them advice. I looked at that as a type of passive resistance. So I did not like that. And so I always warned my kids ahead of time, don't roll your eyes back in your head to me. And then, of course, I had a daughter, and I said, don't flip that ponytail around at me like that. This is a kind of passive resistance that I'm not going to accept. Listen to my advice. I wonder how many times God has done that for us. Listen to what I'm telling you. Listen to what I'm explaining to you. Don't roll your eyes up in your do something from the Scripture. Don't flip your hair around in a type of rebellion, a silent, passive rebellion, when I'm trying to tell you something from the Word of God. Come to understand that the Bible is a treasure. Come to understand that the Word of God is really the Word of life. Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I treasured in my heart that I will not When the treasure is put in the heart, then we take it seriously. When the treasure is put deep down inside us, then we listen to it. And it lasts and lasts. And that's what we want. We want the treasure to last. If we go out and buy a pair of shoes, I want them to last. If we go out and buy a car, I want it to last just as long as I can possibly get it to last. If I buy a tool, I want that tool to last. I don't want it to break the second or third time that I use it, but I want that to last. I want to use it over and over again. And we want things to last. We want the treasure to last. And the Bible is saying, I'm giving you a treasure that will last, that will be with you forever and forever. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, Matthew 6 and 19, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. That won't last. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust thieves do not break in and steal. 
this treasure will last. And that's his point. Come to understand that the Bible, the Word of God, is a great treasure that will last and it will lead and guide and direct your life. In Matthew, Mark chapter 13, there's a great Bible passage commending to us this very point. He tells us in Mark 13 and verse 31. I'm sure it's a passage you'll understand and remember. Heaven and earth will pass, but my words will not pass away. Here's a treasure. This wonderful treasure is opened up every Sunday morning. Every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, we open up this treasure. And depending upon how we value it, depends on whether we will come and be a part of the partaking of the treasure. The pearl of great price. Oh, it's a great treasure. Matthew chapter 13. Let me tell you what else is a great treasure that you and I need to really, really consider carefully. Church is a great treasure. Now, I'm talking about the kingdom of heaven, the church that you read about in the pages of the Bible. It is a great treasure. God has given us a precious, precious treasure here that we need to value greatly. And I hope that as I speak about these particular matters, as I do, you will consider carefully how important the church is to you and your life. It is our ark of safety that will carry us when the time of destruction comes upon us. One of the great Bible passages that has how important the church is is to see how important it is to God. And it's found in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, you'll recognize the verse, I'm sure, But as I read these verses, I want you to notice God's attitude about the people, about the church. But you are, 1 Peter 2, 9, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That ought to teach us right there how valuable the church is. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are, a, you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 10, we are the people of God that have received the mercy of God. The church is a treasure. When I'm obedient to the gospel of Christ, there in turn the Lord adds me to his church. The one you read about in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. The people were added to the church of the living God, the assembly. The people were added to the people of God. Not the brick and the mortar and the physical building, but people. People who said no to sin and yes to Christ. And they saw, here is the pearl of great price. We will sell whatever we have in order to obtain it. And you see people like Peter and Paul doing that very thing. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I had every opportunity going into Judaism, but I gave it away and thought it was nothing but rubbish so that I could have the pearl of great price, the church of the living God, and to be a member of it. What a treasure, Matthew 13, 44. It's like a treasure hid in a field. And a man, when he found that treasure, went and sold everything he had to buy the field so he could have the treasure. What a great spiritual treasure you and I have. 
the fact that we have a congregation of people who assemble together every first day of the week as the Bible teaches, and we're worshiping God the way the Bible, the New being led in matters of expediency by elders, being served faithfully by deacons, preachers and teachers who are teaching and studying the Word of God to us and to those who are out there. What a wonderful treasure the church of the Lord is. How shall we look at it with some ho-hum type of attitude or criticize it or try to undermine the great work that the treasure is trying to accomplish? No, no, I'm going to look at it as a great treasure now because I tell you what, If you want to be in the kingdom of heaven, then you're going to have to go through the kingdom of heaven on earth first. Because the kingdom on earth, kingdom of heaven on earth, is directly tied to the kingdom of heaven in heaven. And if I'm going to be in that kingdom of heaven in heaven, I'm going to have to be in the kingdom of heaven on earth. The treasure the church that belongs to Christ because he purchased it with his own blood and paid the price for our sins. What a treasure we have. So valuable. But yet sometimes I look upon the church in such a haphazard attitude I'll tell you what, I'd be praying on my knees, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me of the negligent attitude I've had toward your church. I'd be down on my knees asking the Lord, forgive me for my indolence, negligence, slothfulness, lack of concern for this invaluable treasure which was purchased by your son's blood. One great treasure that I wanted to talk about, and I knew that I would not get time to do it, and I'll talk about it on another occasion, perhaps just devote a whole sermon to that. Heaven is a treasure. Isn't that going to be a great treasure that we are going to receive? Heaven is a treasure. And we have it in hope. One great day we'll go to heaven. And be with the redeemed of all ages and all the loved ones that have gone on before us. And I look forward to that day. I think I understand a little bit about what Paul was saying there in the book of Philippians. Oh, for me to stay here would be a good thing. For me to go over yonder would be great gain. I want to stay as long as I can. But I want to enjoy the great treasure of heaven. And the wonderful part about that is every person can enjoy that. Every person can receive that. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. Everyone can have that through faith, repentance, baptism into Christ for the remission of sins, the Lord adding you to his church, the body of Christ. It can be yours. The instruction of living faithfully every single day. One great day, we'll receive the treasure of heaven. And I hope you're there with us as we obtain it. Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?